Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 23. Welcome, guys. How are you doing this week? Doing pretty good. Doing good. Excellent. So what do you want to talk about first this time? Let's see. Apple has reversed uh, the App Store reviews for the iOS 9 public beta, so users can no longer post reviews for app if they're running the beta. That's pretty nice. Do you think they could actually go back and retroactively take out some of the reviews that people left? Uh, I'm I'm guessing it was just kind of like, oh yeah, we probably should have done that in the first place, our bad, and then they mm-hmm. enabled it on the next beta when people were complaining about it. I doubt they're going to fix it, but maybe they will. I don't know. Uh, some intern forgot to flip a switch. Yeah, it, it looks like a client size thing. It like gives you a little error message if you try to leave a review on iOS nine. But if you go to the if you go to iTunes on your computer and review away, if you really want to piss off some some app developers, <laughs> I don't recommend doing yeah, that. And um, it's generally unfair to judge somebody's app based on it running on a beta of iOS. You know, it's still it's still too early. To blame the developer. I got a few card game apps I want to blame. Well, we actually just got a a complaint that our app was crashing on El Capitan that I haven't really looked into yet. <laughs> so our unsupported Mac apps that we don't develop anymore. So it may just be time to remove them from the App Store completely. We'll have to see. Although it looks like they may have deleted a system font or something like that. In which case, I'm going to tell them that they shouldn't have done that. And sorry. <laughs> you think the user actually deleted the system font, or you oh, think yeah, the system font is no longer there? We've we've had users delete like Arial from their fonts before, and then we'll, we'll get in a crash when they launch that because we're trying to you know like render some uh, text in OpenGL using the Arial font, which is not there anymore. So it's because they wanted to change everything in the Comic Sans. Yeah, probably they got rid of it. Yeah. I think it might be good to to delete your Comic Sans font just to watch any app crash and then stop using that app. It's a good filter. Yeah. Yep. Have you have you guys been testing your apps on iOS nine? Done a little bit of work on my uh, day job app. It's been fairly solid. Uh, did have an issue where it was picking up the wrong size class for some stuff, and that was just a matter of we were checking. We we're kind of doing some iOS seven backwards compatibility stuff, writing a wrapper around checking whether the size class was uh, regular width or not, and also if that selector didn't, didn't exist, then doing like a UI user interface check. But uh, that was failing on views in iOS 9, but was working on views in iOS 8 that being called and view did load. So they've changed something there, but fairly simple workaround just to go call the view controller, and that had it fine. So are you doing your testing on the 9 SDK or still on the 8 SDK? Still on the I've 8 been, SDK. I've been testing apps built on the 8 SDK running on iOS 9. For the most part, I haven't had any issues, but I've had one really weird one where the app built with the iOS 8 SDK crashes on iOS 9, claiming that a class is not a subclass of NS managed object, and it clearly is. If I hmm. reboot it with iOS 9, works fine. Hmm. So That's weird. That, that one's a, a very odd bug that uh, would be hard to reproduce in a sample application, I think. I was hoping they'd get that fixed by beta 4. Did you, did you file a radar? 
Not yet. I'm I'm going to. I I think the the difficult part is I don't think I'm going to be able to provide a simple uh, sample code that can reproduce the defect consistently because I've got several Anis managed objects that work fine. It's just in one particular place it uh, crashes the app doing something fairly simple. But uh, yeah, like I said, rebuilding it with IOSign fixes the issue. Hmm. But I don't know if that's going to, you know, this is that time of year where apps built with the old SDK will break in one way on the new SDK or on the new version of iOS. But if you rebuild it with the new SDK, other things break. Yeah. So this is my least favorite time of the year. Yeah, we've been doing the same testing that you guys have mentioned on our, our new update that we're pushing out. Uh, and so far, so good. But we've got like a list of stuff we need to test when we start testing the iOS 9 SDK built app like IPv6 and all the kind of new things that are thrown in there with, with iOS 9. So there'll be more testing after after that gets released on iOS 9. It is a crappy time of the year to be a developer for sure. Yeah, especially when you have to be concerned with many applications. It just yeah. makes it even more difficult. Yeah, they really know how to ruin your summer vacation. Not to say I don't mind getting new toys and improved uh, APIs and improvements to Swift as well. Oh, yeah. All those things are, are good. Just it's a little bit of a painful period transitioning from the old to the new and i'm not really sure when would be a better time for it anyway it's pretty good yeah my hope is you know with the public beta that a lot of the issues will get discovered earlier and fixed before it goes to a gold version yeah and i hope we get that version because last year with the ios 8 version that wasn't happening we, we got what four five betas and that was it and we're already on beta four five if you're talking mac os 10 should have another you know four five six weeks until final if they're right. consistent with previous years i think the last one we got last year was early august up until we had the the last the release can the gold master that was scary because there were some open issues that we had in our app that weren't solved until that very last minute. Although historically they've they've gone much longer. I think iOS 5 had eight betas, so you never know. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a nice uh, chart of all the different iOS and their different beta periods and how long they were in between them and all that good stuff. Yeah, they certainly needed more iOS 8 betas, I can say that for sure. Speaking of betas, how about that watch beta? That, it's... it's... It's kind of rough right now on beta 4. I didn't think it was any worse than beta 3, but um, constantly, uh, I don't know about you, Sam, but my, my watch keeps like being turned off and I can't wake it at all. Lifting my arm up or hitting buttons won't do anything, so I have to do the hold two fingers down to reboot. I was yeah. half thinking I should like take it to the genius bar. I've been having the same issues. It seems like I'll do a two-finger reboot at least twice a day. And the digital crown is very unresponsive for me right now. And battery life, I think it just locks up and can't do anything, and then the battery dies. So I don't even know how long my battery is lasting, but it is nowhere near what it was, even with beta 1, which was bad. Yeah. So I'm not running the beta, and so running great. I wore the watch for 14 hours and uh, still had 50% of the battery left. So. Hey, come on, jump in the pool. The water's fine. Oh, wait. <laughs> I was thinking beta 4 would be the, the point to jump in, but it sounds like I might wait for at least one more. Yeah, I'm wondering if we'll actually even get a new beta for it tomorrow since it's so bad. It would be outside of the normal beta cycle. I would think it's not. It's 
it's not a good situation. Like, I can't use an activity tracking piece of the watch, but it's no worse than any of the other previous betas to me. Maybe beta 3 was a little bit better, but they already did, like, an emergency release of El Capitan. Uh, they released it earlier today, beta 5, so oh. I can't I can't imagine that they're going to they're gonna release new betas of everything tomorrow, which is kind of off their cadence of new betas every two weeks. They must have found something good in El Capitan. Mm-hmm. So I'm not hopeful. I think I'll just have to deal with what I've got for the next week. And I don't know, maybe maybe this should have reminded us of older versions of iOS before it was called iOS when the betas were super buggy because they were changing so much more stuff. iOS 8 and yeah. 9 were fairly stable using the beta versions, at least compared to earlier OS versions in this watch OS 2 stuff. So maybe we shouldn't have just thrown it on there right away. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Well, yeah, in my case, I was developing an app that used, needed to watch OS 2 stuff, so, and I don't have a second watch to use as a test device. You don't have a, my a day watch and a night watch? Come on. <laughs> no. No, that's fair. That's a, that's a good reason. I don't have as good of a reason. I haven't been doing doing any watch OS development lately, so I'm just an idiot. <laughs> well, you like all the new toys. Yes, yeah, so I'm a glutton for pain. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know how many weeks out of the month last year that my phone was not running some beta. And starting in June, I was running all the 8 betas. And then when as soon as they came out with an 8.1 beta, 8.1? Yeah. My phone, I put my phone on that. So there was, there was very little time in this past year that my phone was not running some kind of beta version. I've tried to be more restrained lately on the, on the betas. I don't think I did all of the, like, release betas from last year. Maybe I did, like, towards the end or something, but... I mean, there's not that much that's changing for the most part. It's just like, yeah. I was just doing it to keep up at work since we don't always put our test devices on the latest betas. Although I think some of the 8 dot whatever betas were more stable than the previous one. So that might... Yes. I think 8.1 might have been that way now that now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah, so we, we have been getting a lot of changes in the betas these days, especially in Swift. Yeah, with this last Alex, beta, we've got some pretty major changes to Swift. Most notably, strings are no longer collections. You know, historically, a string used to be a collection of characters, and uh, with the latest beta in Swift, they they broke that model um, because now it's you know, really a collection of uh, Unicode characters. So, you know, what what is an equivalent string? You know, if it's a Unicode or, or a regular character, is it the same string or not? That with that and protocol extensions, they've now made Swift a little bit different. So, can you no longer subscript your your strings? That's a good question. I would imagine not, but uh, I don't know the answer to that. I know there is there is something just reading over the the airspeed velocity article about all the different changes. It looks like there's this sliceable protocol they introduced, and then it went away, and so there's something different now. So I'm I'm very confused about what's going on with all that stuff. Yeah, I, I think probably the best source to understand the change is the Apple Swift blog, and it's a pretty clear explanation of the of the change and you know why they did it. And a lot of it comes down to you know two things that equality means something a little bit different now that we're dealing with unicode and in the word a string is different than just the sum of its part so you can still get a character array out of a string if you need to deal with a string that way but string doesn't quite fit the collection type anymore hmm. so I, I would definitely recommend reading the apple string blog airspeed velocities article is really good as well um uh, 
and they tend to go into a lot more detail. Airspeed Velocity is also one of the authors of the advanced Swift books coming out through the Objective-C.io site. Gotcha. It's good to know. Maybe I'll finally understand this crazy string stuff in Swift. Seems like there's some... Yeah, I'll probably change it again. <laughs> yeah, though. The whole Unicode character thing has been kind of a challenge, you know, in terms of like you don't have length anymore on a string because it kind of depends, you know, is it is it double byte, you know, or or just a regular character string. So length doesn't mean exactly the same thing as it does in Objective C. Actually, in Objective C, the NS string, the length is the number of Unicode symbols. So if you have say the Euro symbol, which is a multi-byte character, it'll still count that as one instead of like if you were just to put that into a care array and take the length of that. So it sounds like maybe they had a regression versus the NS versus NS string in the Swift string, maybe? They had to oh, reconcile? In the Swift string, you have a couple of different ways of counting the length, so it's kind of, length is a bit overloaded now. Yeah, it can be a little bit confusing because you never know whether you're talking about the, the, the backing store or the number of characters. Yeah, another big change uh, to the Swift standard library is they added the perform selector that we had in Objective-C. So this is one step towards making Swift a little bit more dynamic, or at least being able to call your dynamic Objective-C code from Swift. So would this be useful if you were, say, writing your own UI view subclass and control? Was it UI control or N not NS control, UI control? And you had a subclass and you wanted to add a target, you know, conform to that, actually call out performing that selector on that thing? That would, you think they added it for that or some other strange reason, reflection? Not, it's not quite to the level... Uh, where I'd say Swift is more dynamic and as reflection, I, I think it's, this is a pretty small baby step towards that. I think it's more about being able to call and in, in, interact with more dynamic libraries, uh, especially in Objective-C, from your Swift code. I guess the selector has to be on an Objective-C object, not can't be on a Swift object unless it would inherit from NS object. I could have sworn I saw an example in one of the blog posts about this that it didn't necessarily have to be an Objective-C object. Or at least an NS object. Right. Now, I believe it, it might be an NS object, but you don't have to do that at Obj-C annotation on it to, to have it work. There's a there's an article on Daniel Owen's blog, and he had an update to his post where he showed that you could do it without using the at Obj-C, and he's, his example is... Right. An, Inheriting from a custom string convertible, which I don't think that's an NS object. It sounds like a protocol. Yeah. But uh, David Owen, not Daniel. My bad. Sorry, David. <laughs> <laughs> and Daniel. Sure. Yeah. Who are, if there's one of those out there too, my bad. Yeah, it'll be. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I, mean, I guess I like the, the capabilities of metaprogramming that it would introduce. Although I don't know about you guys, but every time I uh, call perform selector on object in Objective C, I feel a little bit dirty. I feel like there must have been some better way I could have done something. It's kind of an anti-pattern. <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not conforming to a, a protocol or something, and I need to have some commonality to do this with. It's just another tool in our tool belt, I suppose. Yeah, I'm sure it'll enable some some things that you can do before in Swift. Yeah. So it any other good changes in the, the beta Swift library? Those are the big things. Um, like Alex mentioned, the airspeed velocity post that we can put in the show notes details a lot of additional minor changes as well. And definitely worth taking a look. Yeah. So one thing I always see coming up a lot is this flat map. Anybody want to tackle that? What is flat map? And Natasha the Robot, on her website and in her newsletter, she's been talking about the flat map a few times and uh, you know, it talks about how it's not very clear what it means and how to use it. 
and uh, she's been exploring what flat map is and, and trying to understand it better. But she does make a good point that the average developer coming into it, looking at flat map, probably won't understand it at first glance. So I'm uh, you know, doing my best to explain it. You know, flat map bakes, basically takes an array of arrays and flattens it into a single array. Um, but it also works a little bit differently with optionals where, where flat map can take optionals and map that into or really unwrap those optionals and remove any nils from an array of optionals. So instead of returning an array of optionals, it returns the unwrapped an array of the unwrapped values and removing any nils in the process. Okay. So would we conceivably be able to get rid of an if let by the flat mapping an array of optionals? Yeah. Or it doesn't even have to really be an array. You could use it to unwrap an optional or um, there's even some scenarios where you have an optional contained within an optional and you'd have to doubly unwrap it where you could use flat map and that'll that'll remove that doubly wrapped optional for you or handle that scenario better okay so yeah. the name is a bit confusing and you know it doesn't really describe what it does especially in the terms of optionals as well as it could but there are definitely scenarios where it can create cleaner less verbose code for dealing with arrays of arrays or the doubly wrapped optionals. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've we've been slowly exposed to a lot of functional language idioms over the last, say, decade or so. I think starting out, at least in Objective-C land with the enumerate objects method call that would take in a, basically what would be called a lambda in functional programming lang land, or in our case, a, a clo not closure, but a uh, block. And uh, so now we're getting, like, we're they're pushing us a little bit further with this flat map thing. Well, flat map's definitely the, not a new... I was just going to say, I, I think part of the issue is that there's kind of a definition for flat map in traditional functional programming, which is kind of what you guys were describing before. It just takes a bunch of arrays that you're mapping and flattens them out. Uh, but the the issue seems to be that when you throw optionals in there, all kinds of different things uh, need need to change because of that. That seems to be where all the confusion comes from, which is kind of a pattern that I am seeing whenever I'm messing around with Swift. <laughs> yeah, and if you're gonna map over an array that has optionals in it, then you still can't can't just filter that out. So you have to return something back for that map value. So. I guess flat map can help out with that. Yeah, and the new advanced Swift book from the Objective-C.io folks actually goes into great detail on optionals and talks about how flat map works with optionals. Goes into a lot more detail than some of these other articles. Definitely recommend reading it. And they released that their optionals chapter, I believe, earlier this week. We think we have a bad tracking betas. They're writing a whole book that tracks the beta. Yeah. Hats off to those guys. It's definitely impressive. I hope they live in the southern hemisphere. That way it's their winter, not, not their summer. <laughs> oh, one of the authors, Chris, I believe, is hiking through the mountains while he writes the book, <laughs> which is very interesting. That is the way to do it. I wonder how the quality of the chapters changes with the level of altitude that he ascends to. Uh, he could just be let, letting the other guy do most of the work right now. Right? No, I'm not saying he's getting high or anything. Feel free <laughs> to say boo. <laughs> Wasn't sure if I even wanted to respond there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's bad joke time. Yeah, it seems seems to be about two-thirds the way into an episode is when the bad jokes really start coming, <laughs> I've noticed. That's about when the whiskey glass is empty. Okay. <laughs> App of the week, guys. Uh, we didn't get a lot of submissions this time. We'd like to keep asking for submissions, so keep them coming to us. But we did warn you that if we didn't get any uh, submissions that we were able to use that we're going to start pimping some of our own app. And uh, 
Argo, you and I worked on an app last October. Would you like to describe it to us? Um, so this is basically uh, an app for testicular cancer awareness. Uh, for It was a thing we did at a charity event, and it basically uh, lets you know how to check yourself so you don't wreck yourself, uh, essentially. <laughs> it's targeted at, at males. I forget what it was like. You know, was it teenagers up to... 35 35 so? um, Something like that. Yeah, Mike's going to kill us if he ever listens to this podcast. Probably. But yeah, basically uh, gives you a bunch of nice, nice illustrations and uh, verbal instructions on how to uh, essentially check your balls for testicular <laughs> cancer. So uh, let me play a quick sample of that audio. Oh, I can't wait. Examine each testicle with both hands. Place the index and middle fingers under the testicle with the thumbs placed on top. Firm, but gently roll the testicle between the thumbs and fingers to feel for any irregularities on the screen. All right, if that was not enough for you, then go download this app. That, yeah. that should be it. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, though, check out the logo. It's really cool. Uh, and they actually let us keep it in the app store with the name Ball Checker. So uh, definitely, if you're if you're male in the age range, or any, any age range, really, download the app. It'll give you a calendar reminder to... To make sure that you you check yourself monthly, which is is what they recommend, because honestly, you don't want to be kind of caught on uh, the wrong end of not not having checked and be be down to a uh, to single ball in it. So it's, yeah, or even worse, no balls. Yeah. So, but we'll put a link in the show notes. Check it out. There's some cool use of the as you heard accessibility APIs to. To give you the the directions for the exam and, and all that good stuff. Um, but uh, we mentioned we we did this for charity, obviously for the Tessular Cancer Society. Um, but we we did this at a an event that's local to Cincinnati called Southwest Ohio Give Camp, uh, which is part of a larger Give Camp program uh, in the country where you basically get a bunch of technology people together. And you you build stuff for for nonprofits, um, and they just locked down the dates for the uh, Cincinnati area, Southwest Ohio uh, Give Camp. Uh, it's going to be October sixteenth, uh, that Friday through that through that weekend uh, to the eighteenth. Um, and I really recommend if you're in the area, you you go check out the the website southwestohiogivecamp.org i believe it is we'll put a link in the show notes and think about volunteering uh there's there's a normally a wide variety of of projects there um from mobile to yes. websites normally a lot of websites uh just just because uh, a lot of these nonprofits just have no no resources to to put even the basic website together and it really helps them out a lot um do you have anything else sam you've participated in it a couple years yeah, as well I, that you'd like to say yeah i think i've done it close to five years now uh, i've done anything from being a grunt on a team to leading up a team and it's amazing what happens over a weekend these people that come in with something that looks like it was generated out of front page nine, 1997 for a website and what they come out with is something that they can use something that prospective clients can use or uh, sometimes they just need a good website that a government 
organization can look at to decide whether they want to grant them funding or not. It's huge. And everybody's got a little something they can donate as far as their talent goes. It's typically not a great thing to go there and try to learn a technology. Uh, you're not going to do that very well. It's a, it's a high, high paced, fast paced environment where you're trying to knock out some kind of big functional thing within a weekend. And these, these charities, they're, they're just floored by what happens on Sunday afternoon at the presentation. I think we especially floored them with our demo last year. It's quite a demo. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. But, uh, but there's, there's, free, there's free food if you're a volunteer. Uh, there's all kinds of awesome work that happens. I think, like, like Sam was saying, I was surprised how much you can get done in a weekend. Like, you know, 48 hours of, of straight coding, essentially. I've never been so productive in my life. Uh, <laughs> Especially, you know, not working on or code at the day job. It, it's just kind of cool how doing things for a good cause can really uh, pump you up and make everyone super productive. And I do believe that those dates would correspond to the National Give Camp uh, weekend. Uh, if it's not, it's very close to that, that National Weekend. They've, they've been trying to keep in, the Ohio chapter, Southwest Ohio chapter, has been trying to keep in sync with the, the national lately. So those are probably the national days as well. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have for the week. Uh, so why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on Twitter? I'm at AJ Robinson. And I'm at Sam Corder. And I'm at Alex Argo. And the podcast is at Shared Inst on Twitter. And also, you can find us on our website, sharedinstance.com where we have a link to all of our show notes and previous episodes. And as always, reviews and ratings on iTunes are always greatly appreciated. And don't forget to send us your app so we can feature it because you don't want to hear the rest of what Siri tells you to do in that testicular app. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.